the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time now for the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. It's probably true that almost any community over a certain period of time undergoes changes. But one community in the San Francisco Bay Area has probably seen more than the average Bay Area community. The city of Fremont, once known as predominantly a bedroom community, today is more often considered to be the Silicon Valley of the North, home to any multiplicity of high-tech companies, along with Tesla. In addition to the changing face of the city of Fremont, there's also been a pretty significant change over the last three decades in terms of this community's diversity. So what's it like to minister in a community of this sort? Well, joining us now to offer some personal insights is the senior pastor of Harbor Light Church of the city of Fremont, Pastor Terry Inman. And Pastor Inman, a delight to have you carve out some time for us today. Great to be with you today, Craig. Let's talk a bit about the changes you've seen. As I mentioned, over the course of the last three decades, there's been enormous changes in the city of Fremont, and you have been serving there all throughout this period of time. In fact, nearly three decades as senior pastor there at Harbor Light. Yeah, I uh, <clears throat> just just passed a uh, anniversary of 50 years of ordained ministry, and 27 of those have been here at Fremont. And uh, in fact, all but 12 of them have been in the Bay Area. So uh, I have been on the block a little while, and I've seen a lot, seen a lot of those changes you're talking about. And uh, we kind of wake up every morning <laughs> and asking the Lord, how do we how do we minister to this community today? And we've seen a lot of changes over the years, and they've been positive. They've been challenging. But today, we enjoy a church that re- closely reflects the demographics of our changing community, which is, as you said, very, very diverse. Uh, I think a few years ago, uh, there was a Harvard study done that said Fremont, is the most religiously diverse city of its size in America. And uh, boy, that is certainly true. Uh, so it's, a, it's, it's exciting to me. It's also challenging. You know, I'm, the, I'm a son of a missionary. When I was two, we trucked off to Japan right after the war. That's kind of like your, your uh, parents taking you as an infant to somewhere like uh, uh, maybe Iraq or somewhere, you know. Uh, so we were up in the mountainous communities where there were no white people. I was the only white child on the streets. So I think there's something inside of me that understands uh, how to connect with diverse ethnicities and cultures. So we've been fortunate to attract people uh, of, of, of a lot of races and languages. Somebody said there's over 150 languages here in Fremont. Certainly then that suggests that it's a church that needs to be um, agile needs to be willing to, to flex and bend, which sometimes, for those of us that have been in the body for many, many years, we know doesn't come all that easily. But I'm I'm struck by the fact that your own background, your dad, as you mentioned, had been a missionary, you've had a heartbeat for missions, and certainly in a community like Fremont, where in many parts of the U.S., if you want to go to the missions field, it usually requires an airplane ticket and a passport. In this case, though, you literally walk out the front door into, as you suggest, one of the most diverse communities with an opportunity to not only reach many people of different cultural and religious and faith backgrounds and linguistic backgrounds, but it it just seems as if uh, the mission field, certainly for Harbor Light, is right where you're planted in Fremont. Exactly. You know, um, I, I told a group of pastors several years ago, we were meeting with them and just talking about ministry. And I said, you know, if you don't like ethnic food, (laughs) turn the lights out and go to the Midwest or somewhere, because you really have to have a missionary heart to uh, pastor successfully in this community. I've seen over the years, I've seen churches close because they were 
they were focusing on one culture uh, and were not able to adapt. And uh, so it, it does, it just, but you know, one thing I think, Craig, that's is true anywhere is that love just seems to supersede every culture, every language. And when you affirm people, you accept people, and you honor diversity. We really go out of our way to honor people's different culture. We don't feel like, I don't feel like my culture or someone else's culture is is any better than anyone else's. Uh, so we go out of our ways to affirm people of that ethnicity and get them involved in leadership and so uh, it's really fun, but it is an adventure every day. And, and certainly, and I mentioned about the necessity to be agile. I, I would wonder, just in terms of your approach to ministry, how has it changed over the last nearly three decades here in Fremont that's allowed you to uh, to be sensitive to not only some of the cultural differences in a diverse community such as this, but as well as to be effective in terms of reaching these people for Christ? Well, I think that you know, I think we used to think that if we would just kind of put together a, a good enough worship service or program or have the right personalities or the right service or the music or guest speakers or whatever, we would attract people. We were attractional. Build it and they shall come, ministry. as they say, right? Build it and they yeah, shall yeah. come. Yeah. 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 And it, that just doesn't work in Fremont. You know, you, you could get all of the Christian celebrities in the world lined up here, uh, well-known speakers or, or bands or musicians or whatever else. And in, and in our city, most of our people, 75% of our population wouldn't even know who they are. So it, it takes a wholly different, a whole different approach. And so one of the strengths of our church has been very uh, focused on compassion and outreach and, and meeting the needs of, of our community. And so we helped establish a ministry probably, I think, 15, at least 15 years or so ago uh, called City Serve Compassion Network. We've got about 30 churches that are actively part of that network. And what we do is we connect people in our local churches with people in the community that have felt needs. That could be anything from tutoring or to, to helping, a, a, say, a new, a new immigrant get established, uh, taking elderly people to the hospital, mowing someone's lawn, fixing up the just so many different, a variety of needs. And so we have a, a, an office in the center of our city where, where people can call or come. And then we network them with volunteers in our local churches to go out and meet those specific needs. So by reaching out to people and meeting their felt needs, we establish these relationships with people who would never come to our church. But we establish a relationship, and over time, the goal is to introduce them to Jesus Christ and get them involved in a local church. So that's been a real strong approach, uh, along with a lot of other outreach things we do. I'll tell you a fun story. Um, just before COVID-19 hit, I was preaching a uh, six-week series called Out of the Box, focused on compassion, focused on uh, reaching out to our, our neighbors and people in the workplace and whatever by responding to people's, like I said, felt needs. And that's a theme that, that it's kind of a broken record around here at our church. But uh, so the theme was Out of the Box. And wouldn't you know it, just a couple of months later, we were out of the box. I mean, we were we were not meeting in our sanctuary for, you know, I don't know, over a year. I can't remember how long it was now, but it was quite a long time. And we were very sensitive to uh, what our county and what our state were asking us to do. We weren't trying to be, uh, you know, for something. We just felt like let's let's keep people safe and let's just support what what our leaders are telling us about the science of this. And so all of a sudden we're out of the box. And right after that, I was contacted by uh, CityServe International, which is a, which kind of developed out of our local CityServe. And uh, they had gotten the contract from the federal government, from the uh, uh, administration at that time, to do the Farmers to Families Food Box Program. And we were one of the, I think, only churches in the Bay Area that were able to participate in that program. And so for... Uh, for several months, I think over a year, year and a half, something like that, every other Saturday or so, we were distributing 30-pound boxes of fresh food, vegetables, uh, fruit, dairy products, so on, to over 600 cars that would come through our parking lot. So now we can't have church on Sunday morning, but on Saturdays, we've got 100 volunteers that are out there interacting with our community. Everybody for our community is 
is pouring through our parking lot of every religion and every race. And one of the things that we did was, in addition to putting these wonderful boxes of food into their trunk, was uh, we were able to ask their permission to bless them. And everybody was very responsive, very open, and, and welcomed it. And so we prayed for them. We even had city council members out here helping us. Some of them were even praying for people. And uh, so it was just a fantastic opportunity. I think we, we probably touched more people in our community during that time when we couldn't meet than when we're meeting. So it, it was just a powerful thing. And we continue to do that through our Compassion Network outreach. You know, Pastor Inman, what strikes me about what you've just described in terms of that level of engagement with the local community, and, and I, I must apologize, I don't wish to take all of the wind out of your sails, but but hearing you describe that, I thought, now where, where does this sound familiar? Where have I, have I read about this or heard about this before? And then I realized... What you're essentially describing is the first century church. What you're essentially describing is Christ's ministry on earth. When you think about the fact that every time there is a description within the four Gospels of Christ speaking to a large crowd, it's always preceded by his engagement with the community, healing, restoring sight to the blind, giving you know the lame person the capacity to walk once again. Christ demonstrating sensitivity toward felt needs. And so if we look at that as an example of how the modern-day church can and should be operating, I mean, it, it, it sounds a little hollow to say to a person who's on a street who doesn't know where their next meal is coming from, who is struggling to care for their family because of a loss of a job or COVID, whatever the circumstances might be. It seems hollow to say, God really loves you, and then to leave them in that condition. And so it sounds like what you've really captured here is a sense of using that model that very Christ himself gave the church as a means of demonstrating in a practical way God's love, because once you're able to meet those felt needs, it seems to almost be a, a, a smooth and contiguous transition into being able to address, the, address then their spiritual needs. Do you, do you find that to be true? Exactly. I think that we would see some of the same cars repeating, coming back through the parking lot. And as they did, they would kind of warm up after a few more weeks. And pretty soon they would be asking for prayer. And then right in the middle of it, we had something really exciting happen. Uh, there's a there's a, a corporation in uh, Colorado called uh, oh I can't remember the name of they make these they make these boxes for your for your phone you know to protect your phone. But anyway, big corporation and and one of the leaders in that corporation is a believer, and he was having these small booklets printed, leather bound booklet, which is the story of Christ. It's the harmony of the Gospels but put in very modern language and just as, as a narrative of the whole story of Christ. And we found out about it, and uh, they shipped us free of charge, I think something like 10,000 copies of this little booklet. And so we started handing those out to people who were coming through our parking lot. So we have a gift for you in addition to the food. We got not only the, the, the food, but we the, the bread, but the bread of life, you know. So um, one day our truck, didn't show up. Our semi-truck with all the groceries was late, and it was like two or three hours late. Cars were lined up all the way down our street and clear to the freeway exit, which is a, couple, a mile or so from us. And I was getting really concerned that, you know, we had told people, come and get this food, and it wasn't here, and we're waiting for it. So I'm going car to car to just tell people, we're so sorry. Maybe you could turn around and go home and come back in an hour or two, and the truck should be here. It'll be ready. But people didn't want to leave. They said, no, we'll wait. It's fine. And I must have made two or three rounds, probably about a mile long. The cars were backed up. And I noticed that people were sitting there reading this little Bible because our, our volunteer team just went out and just started talking to people and praying over them in their cars and handing them this Bible and so on, or this story of Jesus. And I walked by in about the third or fourth car that I was apologizing to. They're reading this story. And it's like the Lord taps me on the shoulder and says, hey, I got this, <laughs> you know. So finally the truck did show up. But, wow, we were able to get the Word of God, not just feed people's stomachs, but feed their spiritual needs uh, into thousands of people during that time. It was just really fun. It was great. 
And, you know, at the end of the day, we know that God's word doesn't go out and return to him void, but it accomplishes his will, his good pleasure. And I think that that active sense of engagement with the community and and really demonstrating Christ's love as a natural extension. I mean, at, at the end of the day, you know, God says he's so concerned with us, he even has the number of hairs on our head counted, although in the case of some of it, that job is for him is getting easier and easier as time goes by. But I'm, I'm just struck by this idea that, that that sense of addressing felt needs and spiritual needs really works hand in hand and, and maybe is something that the broader church needs to be given more consideration to, and I would imagine especially so with today so much confusion going on in our world around us and the uptick in crime that, that's astonishing, and then people suffering economically because of the current recession, what's happening with inflation, the impact of COVID. I mean, it, it would seem to me, Terry, if there is a point in the calendar that is uniquely designed for the church to be able to be there and to present that that answer uh, for the hope that lies within. This is a very special, unique period in history. W- would you agree? I agree. You know, <clears throat> I believe this COVID crisis and the political turmoil that we've been walking through the past few years has been like a refining fire for the church. Uh you know, the, the Bible tells us that he he uh, cleans up his church before he cleans up the world, you know. So, uh, and it reminds me when the three Hebrew children were thrown into the fire by a godless Babylonian king. They weren't consumed because the fourth figure, God's son, walked through the fire with them. So I believe that we need to put our hope in Jesus Christ alone and uh, refocus, recenter on who Jesus is and what he's about. And stop getting fired up about our culture wars and politics. People are attracted to Jesus, not our cultural traditions. So just keep it simple, keep it real. And I believe that people are hungry. We are seeing not only our church come back in person from COVID, but we are seeing a lot of new people coming back, unchurched people coming back. So I believe people are hungry, but they, they're hungry for the real Jesus, the real thing. And uh, they're very attracted by compassion. Is this a time, in a sense, then, in your opinion, for there to be a bit of a, um, I'll use the word reset, uh, maybe a better term would be revival for the church in, in terms of, and I'll give you an example. There's a lot of debate today going on in the arena of education. And one of the big complaints that we're hearing literally from Florida to California is there seems to be so many distractions taking place that the children are suffering because we're forgetting the fundamental basics. You know, when we were kids, the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic, right? I'm wondering yeah. if the same thing, in a sense, as I think you're suggesting is true for the church, that we really need to look at the position we're in in this time in history and look at a the necessity for a revival or a reset back to the fundamentals of the faith, because it's so easy for us to get pulled into this vortex of politics and debates over wear a mask, don't wear a mask, meet in person, never meet in person again, all of this going back and forth. And and, and somehow within the realm of the church, it, it almost seems as if the message of sin, salvation, sanctification is getting lost by all these distractions. Well, I agree. And in fact, I did a series just recently called Reset <laughs> and uh, addressed some of those issues. But, uh, you know, we just came through our Easter season. And of course, you Every church swells a little bit during that time, and fortunately, with people who are on the journey. They're not quite there yet. Uh, And uh, so especially this year, I just kind of geared my mind to to speak to people as if they had no knowledge of Jesus Christ and bring a message of the simplicity of the gospel. And I thought, you know, you're going to bore your own congregation. But, you know, I got more response for this, this Easter's message than I ever have before and, and, and ever before, people, both uh, mature Christians have been in the church a long time, new believers, seekers that really appreciated the simplicity of the gospel message, just clearly returning. And, and certainly we need to be relevant. We need to understand that we're communicating to a whole new generation and be careful not to use a lot of our, our familiar religious idioms. 
make sure we're communicating. All those things are important. The methods change. The message never changes. But we certainly need to keep up upgraded with uh, understanding our culture, understanding who they are, what their needs are, and knowing how to address the gospel to those specific needs. Now, what do you say to the person who says, Pastor Inman, I understand all of that, but, you know, unlike yourself, I- I've not studied, you know, theologically in any formal setting. I'm not even really good at scripture memorization, and so I, I feel hampered in sharing my faith, and so I kind of feel as if that that job ought to be left up to the professionals, to the evangelists, to the pastors like yourself, because I I'm just ill-equipped to 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 share my faith. What do you say to that individual? Well, I would just say what what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, you know, I'm going to send you my power to be witnesses. He didn't say I'm going to make you preachers or I'm going to make you expositors or I'm going to make you you know teachers or whatever. A witness is just somebody who who has a valid experience and can tell that story. So what we tell Archer, we don't tell people they got to memorize a bunch of scriptures or understand theology or whatever. They just need to be able to tell their own personal story. Let's pivot to um, the ministry of Harbor Light. For folks that are listening to our conversation today that are new to the Fremont area, and they're looking for a new church home. Uh, my goodness, we've talked about a lot of the diversity in terms of the the makeup of the ministry of Harbor Light, but there's equally amount of, of diversity in terms of all of the offerings. You've got small groups, a prayer team. You've got children's ministry, young adults ministry, e- even ministry for old folks like me. So kind of give us a quick snapshot, if you would. Well, a couple of things. You know, I, I mentioned earlier that we have a strong focus on compassion. We, we talk about four purposes of our church. One is rescuing people, another word for salvation, rescuing people. And we really folks try to help people that are walking through storms to find safe harbor in Christ. And so that's our approach to evangelism is connecting people with, like I said earlier, with felt needs of people. And then, of course, once you've been rescued, uh, you, you, you need to be recovered. And, uh, you know, if you fall out of the boat with cold water, you got to get some warm clothes back on. You got, And so even a lot of Christians are going through recovery issues. So we have a, a strong focus on recovery here at the church. We have a Celebrate Recovery ministry that is designed for people who have hurts and hang-ups and just need to walk through life-controlling issues. Or maybe they're part of a family that has those issues. And we probably have one of the the strongest and largest celebrate recovery groups in the Bay Area. Uh, and it's just going really well. We also have recovery groups for people who are walking through grief, grief recovery or through losses. Uh, we also have a divorce recovery groups that we have here from time to time throughout the year for people who are walking through. They feel like they've got that big D in their forehead, but you know, God loves them and wants to restore them and has a left a life for them. So, a lot of we have a lot of groups that are focused uh, around that around recovery and of course we're also wanting to disciple people here and so we do that through our small group structure we have a lot of small groups that meet and we just look for two or three simple things people to get together with other believers they will pray together they will share their life journey together and they will hold each other accountable and and show loving acceptance to one another so fundamentals could, of discipleship yeah, yeah. Now, the group might form around a whole lot of different issues, needs, or Bible studies, or prayer groups, or biking groups, or volleyball team, or whatever it is the group is. But we encourage them to have those elements of prayer, mutual support for their spiritual journey, spiritual growth. And so that's how we disciple people in the church. So if they come here, they can go beyond just a, you know, certainly we love people to come on a Sunday morning and worship together. We have very exciting worship. Uh, that took on a whole new level during during COVID uh, because of needing to go online. So uh, our worship experience, both both in person and online, is uh, is really exciting. And then, of course, we we preach the word. We try to make the word practical to people's lives, what people are dealing with in their lives every day. I, I always think about the people I'm talking to. I don't want to just give them a lot of theology. I don't want to just uh, a lot of idealism, but make every message practical of what people are walking through every day. What What is going to change? What is that person going to take from our church that's going to make their life different? It's going to bring change to them. It's going to bring transformation to them in their lives. So 
the other thing is that we're, a, even though I wouldn't say we're a huge church, we're probably a medium-sized church, but most people might be, might think it's large. Our auditorium seats about 2000. We don't have that many packed into there because we, we, we remodeled it and we're using chairs now so we can spread it out. People feel a little safer when they come together that way, but they are going to feel loved and accepted when this place it's in the DNA, it's in the air. They're going to feel the acceptance and the love of people when they come in this place set first. And that they're also going to feel the presence of God. Our, our worship is very focused on not trying to entertain, but bring people into the presence of God. That's very important to us. I, I really feel like most people who are going to venture out and go to a church expect to connect with God there. That's where they want to connect with God. And so we do everything we can do. We're not just trying to put on a music concert or a show or, you know, great expositor, pre, expositor great preacher or something like that. But we want to connect people with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love that because it, it's not only demonstrative of the practical application of God's Word, but the practical demonstration of God's love in, in that very engaging, almost tactile manner. And as we spoke of earlier, it, it really is modeled after the way Christ established that model during his ministry here on earth. I understand that uh, you're back to meeting in, in person Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Yes. Are you also continuing the online services? Yes, we are. And we have, it's really been exciting to see how many people are joining us online. We focus primarily uh, regionally with that. You know, we're, we're, we're not trying to become some kind of international online church. Uh, and I'm not against those models. Those are fine. But we are trying to, to offer something. I think what happens is that people uh, oftentimes will watch you online, maybe even for weeks before they actually show up. And so... That's we've had a lot of people come in and say, yeah, I've been watching you online. Uh, I had one of our city council members recently say, I've been watching you online for the last couple of years. And now what do I need to do to join the church? And now they've joined and they're part of the church. So it's great. Wonderful. Well, you know, it, it's as scripture exhorts us, you know, uh, all things to all men that we might win some. So whatever the methodology exactly. is to get out there and get the word out and love people in Jesus name, yeah. that's the key. We're visiting today with Pastor Terry Inman, Senior Pastor of Harbor Light Church in Fremont. They meet at 4760 Thornton Avenue, conveniently right off the 880 Freeway in Fremont. And you can get more information about service times. As we mentioned, they have an in-person service, also online, Sunday mornings at 1030 a.m. But as as you've heard Pastor Terry share, there is so much diversity in terms of programs and participation and opportunities to not only be ministered to, but to engage in ministry, that we invite you to do two things. First, check them out online, harborlight.com. That's harborlight.com. Or why not, if you're new to the Bay Area, plan on making a visit this Sunday at 1030 a.m., again at 4760 Thornton Avenue in the city of Fremont. And you made reference earlier, maybe you can say a brief word, too, about your school. Yeah, Fremont Christian School has been here uh, over 50 years, I think 54 years, something like that. Uh, currently, we're running about six to 700 students. Uh, and of course, we went through some huge adjustments uh, during COVID also. For instance, our preschool that normally ran, oh, about 180 or something like that, went down to 30 overnight. But uh, now it's coming back strong, I think over 100 or more. And uh, the school is coming back strong. It's back in person. And uh, it's always been a really strong Christian school in this region, and it's growing, and we've got a great faculty. The school also reflects the, uh, the values of the church, in, in provide, especially in the area of diversity, and also providing people love and acceptance and moral values along with Christian education. So it's really great to be able to serve our community in this way, serve all of our churches in the community this way. And uh, we just really treasure the opportunity to serve along with Fremont Christian School. And uh, certainly if you're in the greater Fremont area, parents listening, that maybe you've grown frustrated with what's happening in the government schools, this might be a very encouraging alternative for your child's education, Fremont Christian School. Again, more information available about the ministry of Harbor Light by going to harborlight.com. That's harborlight.com. 
www.thepeopleshow.com. Pastor Terry Inman, what a privilege and delight to spend some time with you today. Great. Good to see you again and enjoyed our conversation. Welcome to week five of our 40 Days of Mercy. We have talked about Jesus' miracles of mercy, God's mercy toward us, and uh, mercy that forgives others and ourselves. Last week, Pastor Tim talked about mercy at home. That was a little bit challenging. And uh, if you didn't, if you weren't here or you didn't get to hear his message, you really ought to go online and listen to it. It's really practical, powerful help for us showing mercy at home. Today, we're going to focus on mercy ministry, our mission, our church's mission of mercy. The four purposes of our church all center on mercy. Rescuing people through life storms and into safe harbor is an act of mercy. Recovery by embracing God's healing presence is all about mercy. Recovery by embracing God's healing presence, all about mercy. Rebuilding our lives through connection with each other is merciful. And we also release people to find their God-given purpose of mercy. Jesus made our primary purpose very clear. In Matthew's gospel, chapter 28, verse 19, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, of all peoples, baptizing them. And that's what we're going to do on Easter Sunday. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He added, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. That's what's involved in making disciples or followers of Jesus. He also promised in that passage that he would always be with us. He said, I'll never leave you to the very end of the age. That's why we call it the co-mission, because he does not expect us to do it alone. He has given us his Holy Spirit. He made good on that promise. In Acts 1.8, he said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You'll be my evidence, telling people all about me everywhere. He empowers us, and he expects us to pass on the mercy that he has shown us. He expects us and he empowers us to pass along, to be witnesses, to be evidence of the mercy that he has given us. Father, we just pray as we open our hearts to your word today that you will fill us with your Holy Spirit. Not just with words, but fill us with your Holy Spirit. So we leave this place today empowered to demonstrate your mercy everywhere and to everyone you lead us to. And we thank you for it in Jesus name. Amen. So a witness is someone who testifies to something that he has actually experienced. It's simply sharing our personal story of God's mercy to us. We all have stories of God's mercy And they change every day because the word says that the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. So we testify by what we say and by what we do. In fact, what we do speaks louder than our words. St. Francis is quoted as saying, preach the gospel always and when necessary, use words. Think about that one. If you've been here for a while, you have probably heard me talk about the spiritual insight that I was given in a week of prayer and planning at the final decade of the 90s. I was alone. Let me get a drink here just for a second. I was alone in a small cabin in the redwoods of the Mendocino Coast. I had asked the Lord what we should be doing as a church in one of my moments of prayer. The thought immediately came to me that was a bit arresting. Do what you're going to be judged for. Do what you're going to be judged for. I mean, it wasn't an audible voice, but it was obvious that God was answering my query. What should we be doing as a church? Do what you're going to be judged for. 
Now, when I was growing up, being judged or judgment was kind of a negative word. I, I, I don't know why. I always thought it was something really bad. Well, it's also something good. It just means we're going to be rewarded also. So I went to the scriptures in Matthew chapter 25, and I found what I have labeled the mercy mandate, the mercy mandate. He's already told us to, to share the good news, to make disciples. And then here he tells us one of the ways to do that, the mercy mandate. It's our compassion commission. In Matthew 25, verse 31, Jesus describes his glorious return to establish his kingdom here on earth. And he uses a familiar metaphor for shepherding at this last judgment. He gathers the nations and he separates the sheep from the goats. That was a very common thing in those days. A shepherd might be walking down the street. He would have a few sheep. He'd have a few goats. And Jesus here separates them. The sheep are on his right, are rewarded, the kingdom prepared since the creation of the world. In other words, they've already been doing kingdom work. And now they're going to be rewarded with the kingdom created for them since the beginning of the world. And then Jesus tells them why. He says in Matthew 25, 35, and you could probably, many of you could probably quote this because you've heard me talk about it a lot. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. These are six expressions of mercy. Six expressions of mercy. Of course, the disciples were a little bit confused and they asked Jesus, when have we done these things for you? Basically, or essentially he said, when you show mercy to people in need, you're showing it to me. He said it this way in Matthew 25, 40. I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Now, Jesus doesn't view people as the least, a word that means small or insignificant. Cultures, however, often minimize and marginalize people. We're the ones that make them the least. Jesus was just acknowledging what happens in culture. Jesus considers the hungry, the thirsty, the alienated, the exposed, the infirm, the imprisoned, the ones society deems as the least and the last, as his brothers. All humanity are equally deserving of his mercy. When you track the life of Jesus Christ, you see him constantly reaching out to those people that are living on the margins. For the next few days, while on this spiritual retreat, I sat down and I literally took a yellow pad and began to outline how the church could respond to the physical and the emotional and the spiritual needs that Jesus mentioned in this passage. Those were the primary social issues of that day. They are both similar and different to the ones people face today. For instance, one in four people globally, 1.9 billion are moderately or severely food insecure in our world today. Globally, one in three do not have access to pure drinking water. That's why as a church, we continue to support ministries that help feed children around the world, ministries that that dig wells for small communities in Africa where people don't have to walk 40 or 50 miles a day to get water. They can come right to the well and the well is, is, is dug by the local church and people not only receive that physical water, but they receive spiritual water right there in that village. People are also deprived by emotional and spiritual hunger and thirst. Jesus met all those needs. He was moved by compassion when he fed the multitudes. It is hard to preach the gospel to starving bodies. The good news alleviates human suffering. The good news alleviates human suffering. The woman at the well was thirsty. Jesus was there at 12 noon. He was thirsty. He reached beyond social, racial, and gender boundaries and connected around a mutual need for water. 
He also spoke to her thirsty soul when he gently revealed her broken relationships. He didn't expose her. He just simply asked her a question. Where's your husband? It would be very typical for a woman to not even talk to a man, especially a man of another race, without her husband being there. When she revealed that she didn't have a husband, he revealed to her that this was now her sixth relationship. He quenched her spiritual thirst by offering her his living water. She was so excited about the potential of him being the Messiah that she left her water jugs and ran back to that Samaritan village to tell her story. The whole village came out to see Jesus and to receive the same drink that she received that day. That is passing on the mercy. The word stranger in Matthew 25 is actually the word alien. God was always very concerned about how his people treated foreigners or immigrants. In Fremont, we have a great opportunity to show God's love and mercy to immigrants. Actually, everyone may be, anyone may be alienated from someone and you can show them mercy. That person you're alienated from might even be in your own household. Today, most people in the world have clothing. I've been in some of the most remote tribes in Africa and I saw a little eight-year-old boy wearing an A's t-shirt, Oakland A's t-shirt. I don't think he knew what it meant, but it probably came over on a ship in one of those huge boxes of stuff that people were giving away. Most people have clothing, but they do feel exposed emotionally and spiritually by things like sexual brokenness. That's why we try to cover ourselves. We can show people love and acceptance without affirming their lifestyle choices. The apostle Peter says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Peter was quoting from Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. It doesn't mean that we overlook sin. It simply means that we do not stir it up or broadcast it. We show mercy because we have been given mercy. Jesus said, I was sick. And uh, some translation says, you visited me, but it's more than that. It literally means you attended me, you nursed me, you cared for me. That's a better translation. Now, we're Pentecostals. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray for healing Sunday after Sunday, and we're going to pray for you today at the end of this service. If you need healing in any way in your physical body, your emotional life, your spiritual life, whatever it is, we believe in God's miraculous healing. But that's not what this says here. This says, I was sick and you took care of me. You know, sometimes it, it takes more spiritual depth to push somebody's wheelchair than it does to take them out of a wheelchair. So many shut-ins are lonely and need of human kindness. Many of our, the homeless are mentally ill and need housing and just human touch, human understanding, human voice. Finally, the imprisoned cannot come to us. We have to go to them. They're behind bars. People living in darkness are spiritually imprisoned. The addicted can't help themselves. They need merciful intervention. They need love and acceptance and accountability. So many live in prisons of pain, fear, addiction, shame, anger. We must reach out with mercy. Many of Jesus' miracles were preceded by compassion. Compassion is a word that means to feel someone's pain. Compassion. Sympathy is another word like that. But it's not just pity, it is, it is action. Compassion moved Jesus to action. He did something about suffering that he saw. Matthew chapter nine, after he had healed several people, it says he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He is simply saying, there is a harvest full of hurting, helpless, broken people. It's full, it's ripe, and I need people to, to see it with compassion and move into that harvest. 
There is another sheep metaphor. Jesus first observed the crowds. He was always watching. He was always looking. Then he was moved with compassion. He didn't make judgments. He saw them as victims, shepherdless sheep that had been brutalized by wolves. Harassed means they were attacked. Helpless means that they were wounded, laying down, and could not get up. They can't come here because they can't get up. Lost people all around us have been beat up, and they can't get up. They can't come to us. We've got to go to them with God's mercy. Jesus first sees the condition of the harvest of the hurting people, and then he sends us into it. He's looking at our community right now. He sees the hurting and he is sending us into it. That's the reason for this message today. It's not just another Sunday message. It is a theme. It is an anointing. It is a calling on this church. I believe that God wants to get his church into the community and he wants to get the community into the church. I'm going to say that one more time because we need more amens on that one. I believe that God wants to get his church into the community and to get the community into his church. And this is not the only church in the community. There's a lot of congregations. We're one church. So let's talk about some practical ways on how to show, how to demonstrate this mercy. Jesus was always looking out for the sidelined, the suffering, the underserved, the estranged, the destitute, the oppressed. So he began by asking, let's begin by asking the Lord to help us see. You know, when I was growing up, there used to be these railroad crossings. It was kind of an X like this. And it said, stop, look, and listen. Anybody remember those? You're as old as I am then. Stop, look, and listen. Nobody saw those? Oh, okay. Stop, look, and listen. So first, look for people in a crisis. Look for people in a crisis. Be observant. Just listening to people can often begin their healing. Galatians 6, 2 says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. What law is that? What's the law of Christ? Well, Jesus said in John 13, 34, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have the right belief system. No, if you have love for one another. Making disciples begins by listening. A burden could be a lot of things. It could be physical. It could be financial. It could be a relational burden. But most of the time, Burdens create emotional stress. Just listening is merciful. It begins to lift the load. Number two, look for people with unmet needs and help them. Look for people with unmet needs and help them. It could be as simple as providing transportation, helping them with home improvement project, helping someone move, helping immigrants get established, helping an older person with their lawn care, tutoring children, relieving a caregiver. These are just, there are hundreds of ways that we can meet unmet needs. That's why in our city, we have Compassion Network. It's been operating over 20 years now. It was a vision of, of, uh, of mine and another pastor in our community. And then many other pastors joined us and we started CityServe. We were the first place to have CityServe. Now there's CityServe International. But uh, we have over 30 churches that are involved in our community that are meeting felt needs of people in this community and communities around us every single day. Shilpa is our church liaison and she frequently sends out an email list of needs. It's an e-blast from Compassion Network. So you can look that over and you can choose what you wanna respond to. And uh, these acts of mercies can establish relationships that end up in discipleship. There's her email. If you're not on that list and you'd like to get that email, all you need to do is email shilpa at harborlight.com. If you're watching us online, you'd like to know a little bit about that. 
Shilpa at harborlight.com. She'll put you on that e-blast list. And uh, we just got one Friday. And I hope you don't just say, well, you know, that's another one of those emails that's coming from Harbor Light or, or from Compassion Network. Take a look at it. Open your heart to the Holy Spirit and respond to the things he talks about you. We can't do everything. And some of us are better equipped for certain things. There, there are needs on there where they just, they just need something like bunk beds for a single mom and needs bunk beds for her kids or something like that. And, and, and it's a one-time thing. There's other things where people need some tutoring or there's, there's so many different needs. Open yourself to the Holy Spirit, what your resources are, what your gifts are, and allow the Holy Spirit just to stretch you a little bit because this is a way we establish relationships with our community that eventually leads people to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have so many stories about how people have come to Christ because someone cared through Compassion Network. Romans 15, two to three in the message translation says, each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? That's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's troubles, but waded right in and helped them out. I think that's the message translation. It says NIV up there, but that's the message translation. That's a great verse. Number three, Look for people who are grieving and comfort them. Look for people who are grieving and comfort them. We've had so many of you who've lost loved ones during COVID-19. Christopher and Carolyn just came back from India where Christopher lost his mother. His father is with him from India this morning. Christopher and Carolyn are pastoring our church in Boonville. They took a break this week. They're with us. And uh, we love them. We appreciate them. I was with Billy and Irene this week. They just, or with Billy, and they just lost a 13-year-old granddaughter back east. So many of us are going through losses. But it's not just us. There's people all around us that are walking through grief. Listen to people. Tell their stories. Don't tell your story. Support theirs. And just listen. And always be willing to give them comfort. Always be willing to pray with them and assist them. Look for people grieving and comfort them. There have been so many losses in this, during this pandemic. People have lost jobs, loved ones, finances. Many people have lost hope. You may be here today and you sense inside of you that you've lost some hope. I want you to know today, God is merciful. God knows your pain. He knows where you're hurting. He knows the loss you've experienced and he wants to be there. The Bible says he is close to the broken hearted. I'm speaking to someone that's here today. You don't even know how you got here, but God wants you to know he wants to be close to you because he is close to the broken hearted. There is no loss without grief and pain. And when that happens, God wants us to be agents of mercy. Are we too busy to notice the people who are grieving where we, are, where we were? Do we even know who's grieving? The Bible says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Second Corinthians 1 says, God is merciful. He's a merciful father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we are able to give them the same comfort that God gave us. Number four, the fourth way God wants us to be an agent of mercy is to look for people needing friends and show hospitality. These may be people who are reticent, retiring, people who aren't the life of the party. They don't stand out. They might be socially awkward. They might feel uncomfortable in social settings. They might be unpopular. Romans 12, 13 says, look for opportunities to be hospitable. Hospitality is a lost art in our culture. First, we're too busy or we're too self-absorbed. We don't know how to slow down and have hospitality with people, a cup of coffee, inviting people into our home for a meal, or just engaging with them wherever we are and we're aware of their need. In the message version of Matthew 25 that we just talked about earlier, Jesus says, I was alone 
and you welcomed me and showed me hospitality. Find people that are alone. Five, when we have time, well, I think we've got time for a couple more. So number five, look for people who need a second chance. Look for people who need a second chance. They're all over the place. Everyone has failures. Everyone has stumbled. Everyone has sinned. Everyone has flaws. Everyone makes mistakes. People fail. Maybe they failed at a business. Maybe they have failed in a marriage. Maybe they have a failure in some relationship. We need to look for people who need a second chance and show them mercy. Romans 15.1 says, we who are strong ought to bear the failings of the weak and not just please ourselves. In 1 Thessalonians 5.14, Paul said, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Do you know someone who needs you right now? Do you know someone who needs you right now? Maybe a phone call, maybe a text, maybe inviting them into your life, into your home. Is there someone the Holy Spirit would reveal to you that needs your loving attention, your acceptance, your friendship, your hospitality right now? Finally, this one's a stretch. Look for people who are rude. No, don't turn to that person next to you right now. (laughs) You know, we're human. We want to defend ourselves. We want to react when we're put off. But when we answer hostility with kindness, people are completely taken off guard. The Bible says it's like heaping hot coals on their head when we show them kindness and love. They fully expect a reaction, but not that one. 1 Peter 3.9 says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you a blessing. That's one of those reciprocal things where we talked about. If you give mercy, you'll obtain mercy. If you give a blessing, God's going to give you a blessing, no matter if you're being cursed, rejected, lied about, harassed, whatever it is. Ask the Holy Spirit in you to help you look around and be sensitive to the people near you. He will help you show the Lord's mercy. That may be just the gospel that people need to see. Paul the the apostle says, it's his kindness that leads us to repent or turn from our sin. It's his kindness that leads us to repent or turn from our sin. You know, I kind of grew up and people were trying to scare me into heaven. You know, tell me tell the stories about people who were dying and stuff like that. And, but all through the scripture, you see that it's God's kindness that motivates us to turn from the lifestyle we're living and turn and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. So how does the Lord want you to show his kindness, his mercy? That is the best gospel you can share with anybody, anytime, anywhere. Words and works that demonstrate his mercy. So what steps can you take this week to show his mercy. Let him lead you. Let him lead you. He will. Pastor Terry Inman, Senior Pastor of Harbor Light Church of Fremont. This has been the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. To nominate your congregation for Church of the Week, please email us the name and address of your pastor and church along with a link to your church's website to churchoftheweek at salemsf.com. Again, that's the name and address of your pastor and church, along with a link to the website and email to churchoftheweek at salemsf.com. While all submissions will be considered, not every submission is guaranteed airtime. Thank you for joining us today, and be sure to tune in again next week at this time for the Church of the Week. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.